grab your Bible and let me invite you to turn to the book of Romans. Today is a great day to be here at church because we're starting a brand new message series walking through the book of Romans verse by verse every week. And let me tell you, I am so excited, but I'm also kind of nervous. I feel kind of like maybe the Chiefs players do, getting ready to kick off the first game of the season. You know, for pastors preaching Romans, this is like the Super Bowl. It's a big deal. All right, it's a big game. I, I, don't get me wrong, I believe every word in the Bible is the is divinely inspired word of God. But listen, this is Romans. It's Romans. This book is so important. I mean, Romans is one of, if not the most popular books in the Bible. It's one of the most quoted books in the Bible. Maybe like me as a kid, you memorize what? Romans 1.16, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. A lot of you probably memorize the Romans Road to share your faith because Romans is one of the clearest and most thorough writings explaining the gospel. The book of Romans also has some really incredible history associated with it. It was at the heart of what sparked what's known as the Protestant Reformation in the year 1517. Martin Luther, who helped to lead that Reformation, he called Romans the most important part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel we have. He said this, and I quote, Romans is worthy, not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much, and the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, and the better it tastes. Romans is also filled with incredible depth and complex arguments. If you've read through Romans or studied through it before, you know this book can be quite heavy at points. That's why there are some pastors I know who spend years and years preaching through the book of Romans. There's just so much depth to be mined in this book, which is why most consider Romans to be the greatest theological masterpiece ever written in history. That is the path that lies before us today. It's long, it's winding, and it's even a bit rocky at places. But let me tell you, the sights we're going to see along the way are incredibly glorious and beautiful. And with all that said, I want to make one thing clear from the beginning. Romans is not a textbook to be studied, though we're going to study it. It's not a literary work to be analyzed and appreciated, though we will analyze and appreciate it. It's not a theology book to make us puffed up with knowledge so we can show everybody how smart and learned we are, though we're going to learn. Romans is the word of God given to empower us to live transformed lives that make an eternal difference for the glory of God. And though there's a whole lot to this great letter, there's a lot of depth and arguments and debates, I believe you can really take Romans and boil the entire letter down to one thing. Romans is all about the gospel. That's it. And that's the title of this introduction message. It's going to be the focus of our whole series. It's all about the gospel. So let's begin by reading the first seven verses of this great letter, Romans 1. 1 through 7. Would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word of God? Verse 1 Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son 
who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ To all those in Rome who were loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Whenever we start a new book of the Bible, there are three questions we need to answer first about the background. Remember that the Bible was not written in isolation. It was written with a specific context in mind. If we miss that context, we're going to miss the point. So we need to answer these, these questions. Number one, who wrote it? Who wrote Romans? Number two, who did they write it to? And number three, why did they write it? So let's take those questions one at a time. And then at the end, we're going to bring it all home and see what it means for us today. Here's the first thing. First question, who wrote Romans? Romans is a letter that was written by a man named Paul. He's one of the most famous Christians in history. We often call him the Apostle Paul. Paul grew up as a Jew, and he rose through the ranks to become a very prominent and well-educated kind of Jew known as a Pharisee. As a Pharisee, he was extremely devoted to keeping the law of God and to making sure everyone else did the same. He was so devoted, in fact, that when Christianity first started out, Paul set out to destroy it. He believed Christianity was the enemy of God. He believed he was serving God by trying to end the church. Until one day, remember the story? Paul's riding along the road, and the resurrected Jesus himself appeared to Paul. He had this miraculous, unexpected encounter where he's blinded, he's saved, he's baptized, and he receives this call, a call to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to start churches. Now, what is a Gentile? We're going to see that word a lot throughout this letter. A Gentile was anyone at this time who was not Jewish. Christianity, you may remember, has its historical roots in Judaism and the Old Testament. But God's plan has always been to save people from all nations, from every tribe, language, and tongue of the whole world. And that's where Paul came in. Paul is directly responsible for a huge portion of the gospel in the world today. He went on these missionary journeys, planting churches, and he actually wrote this letter to the church in Rome from one of his church plants on one of his missionary trips. Most people believe Paul wrote this letter around A.D. 57. And his introduction here is the longest of any of his New Testament letters because unlike his other letters, this one is unique. This letter is written to a church that Paul had never been to. He didn't start it. He didn't plan it. And he didn't know many of these people. They'd certainly heard of him and his ministry, but it's clear he felt the need to establish himself and his mission. And that's what he does right from the first verse. Look at verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul describes himself by laying out three things, his master, his office, and his purpose. First, he tells us his master. He says, my master is Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of him. This was a title of humility. It shows us that Paul did not exist to do what he wanted or what he thought was best. He lived for Jesus. Second, he gives us his office. He says he was called to be an apostle. 
That title was a very special title given by Jesus to a select group of men who helped start the church. So Paul is reminding the church of Rome that his words, they're not just his words, but they're also God's words. He has the authority given by God to write and to say these things. And third, he gives us his purpose. He says he's been set apart for the gospel of God. This was his mission, his calling, to take the gospel, to take that message of good news that Jesus saves to people who had never heard it. And he devoted his whole life to that gospel, as we're going to see throughout this letter. So that's Paul, the author of Romans and much else of the New Testament. And it answers for us who wrote it. Second, we need to ask the question, who did he write to? All the books of the Bible had an original audience in that time. If we don't know who that group of people is... It's going to be easy for us to take this text and kind of cherry pick out what we like and make it say what we want it to say. That's not good. So who was this letter written to first? We find the answer to that in verse 7. It says, to all those in Rome who were loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kind of the typical greeting we find in New Testament leaders. It's the equivalent of how we start out letters today. We say, dear so-and-so, thanks for writing. It's so good to hear from you. That's what this is right here. And, And this verse shows us that the original audience of this letter was the church in Rome, thus the title Romans. But what do we know about that church in Rome? Well, we know that most likely it was not started by an apostle or really any Christian we know of. What most scholars believe is that some Jews who went to Pentecost and heard that sermon from Peter in Acts 2, they got saved, and then they went back to Rome, and they started a church that was made up initially of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Now, that may not sound like much to you, but this was a big deal. This created a lot of challenges in the church. Jewish Christians, you see, came from a background steeped in the Old Testament. They followed the laws. They followed the rules. There were certain foods they wouldn't eat, clothes they wouldn't wear. There were certain things they wouldn't do. They were the chosen people of God. They were literally related to Jesus by ancestry. The Gentile Christians were different. They came from other religions, from other cultures. They didn't have all the traditions and backgrounds that the Jews did. They were not considered a part of the original people of God. So can you imagine some of the problems that would have created? How these two groups would have struggled to coexist and become one church. And this became even more difficult because we know in history that the emperor of Rome at the time, Claudius, he made a decree to kick out all the Jews, including Jewish Christians, from Rome. If all the Jews were kicked out, who was left to run the church? It was the Gentile Christians, right? And this went on for five years. The church became entirely Gentile and undoubtedly took on a Gentile flavor. So what do you think happened when the Jewish Christians came back after five years to their home church? They discovered a church that looked different from the way they left it. The carpet color had been changed. They took out the chairs or took out the pews and put in chairs. They moved the furniture around. Someone stole their Sunday school class. (laughs) Understandably, this this produced some issues, right? So one of Paul's reasons for writing this letter was to address this tension between Jew and Gentile Christians. We're going to see that throughout this letter. 
He's continually pushing both sides to see hey, how, how the gospel has broken down ethnic walls and has united them into one people despite their cultural differences, despite their political differences. They can and must be the church together. And I don't know about you, but I think we need that message today. <laughs> we live in a time that is increasingly divided. We come from different backgrounds, from different places around the country, even different, uh, different countries themselves. We have different theologies, different politics, varying opinions on every topic under the sun. I see you guys on Facebook. <laughs> but we have one big thing, the most important thing in common. It's the gospel. We've believed the same message. We've been saved by the same grace, and we follow the same Jesus. What unites us is infinitely stronger than what divides us. Just like the church in Rome, we are loved by God. We're called to be saints. That is who we are above everything else. This means that this great book is not just for first century Roman Christians, but it's also for you and for me. Third thing we need to figure out before we dive in is why did Paul write this letter? Why did he take the time to do it? What is it exactly he wants to do here? Well, there's a few reasons we know Paul wrote this letter. We've already mentioned one. He wanted to speak to the Jew-Gentile division in the church. We also know that Paul wanted to travel to Spain, a place he'd not been yet, and start new churches. No missionary had made it that far yet. And he knew that he needed the support of the church in Rome to get there. But the big theme of this letter, the central purpose and what drove Paul in his writing is actually, again, quite simple. It's all about the gospel. Paul wanted to demonstrate and explain and reveal in the fullest way possible the wonder and power of the gospel. And that's what we see between verses 1 and 7. So look at verse 2. It's which he promised, the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Paul reminds us the gospel is not some kind of new thing that he made up, but it's actually the fulfillment of what God's been doing all along, even from before time began. The whole Bible's about the gospel, even the Old Testament. All the prophets, all the writers, all of them were building and pointing to this good news story. And what is this story about? What's this gospel about? Look at verses 3 through 4. It says, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is concerning his son. That's Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. Seven times in this short little section, we see a reference to Jesus. It tells us that the gospel is all about him. And this is one of the major differences between Christianity and every other religion and faith in the world today. See, every other religion centers around a set of rules or traditions or beliefs, but Christianity centers around a person. Jesus is the point of our existence. Jesus is the goal of our lives. The gospel is a message about Jesus. And Paul tells us that this Jesus is the most unique person to ever live because, get this, he was a man and he was God. That's what he explains, this, this great mystery of Christ. He says he's, he's fully man, descended from King David in the flesh. He was born of a virgin woman with a real body. 
I don't know if you guys have watched uh, this show they're made called The Chosen. Uh, it's a show about the, the life of Christ, and, and there's this scene. Uh, my wife and I have watched it. There's this scene where the disciples are talking to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and they're asking her, hey, what was that like? And Mary talks about the first time she held Jesus and how he cried and he, he needed her to, to, to rock him and to change him and feed him. He, he was human. And that's so important for us to understand. Jesus was and is 100% human. He experienced emotions and pain just like us, yet he never sinned. He was and is a real live person. And that's important because he is our representative before a holy God. If Jesus were not human, he could not have taken our place. He could not have represented us. But he's not just fully man. He's also fully 100% God. Jesus is God in human flesh. He didn't come into existence that night in Bethlehem. That's when he became human. But no, he's always existed for all eternity as the Son. He's equal in divinity with the Father and the Spirit. And this too is important because only God has the power to save. If Jesus were not God and he were just a man, we would still be lost in our sins. And the ultimate way that he demonstrated his power as God and his title as the Son of God was through rising from the dead. Who else could do that? Who else could defy sin and death? Who else could reverse the curse from Genesis 3? Who else has this power? Only God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The gospel is a message about Jesus. But what does this mean for us? That's a long time ago. Why is this good news today? Well, here's why. Look at verses 5 and 6. It says, through whom, Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Here's what the gospel means for us today. Grace. It's grace. Grace is what sets Christianity and Jesus apart from everything else. Grace is God's unearned favor towards us. It's unearned because we don't deserve it. You see, we're sinners. What you and I deserve is God's judgment, but what we get instead is his love and mercy. That's because the judgment went on Jesus on the cross. He took our place. He paid our price. And through him, we have eternal life. Look, that's grace. And it comes only through Jesus Paul tells us he's received grace and apostleship. Again, this refers to his special calling as an apostle. He was called to bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. Paul had this special calling to take the gospel and to plant churches where none existed. And that's what he did. And he says he did it, why? For the sake of his God's name. What is the goal of missions? It's the glory of God over all the earth. Paul was commissioned to take the gospel to all nations for the sake of God's name. And he says, this includes you. Because you've been called by Jesus, you, Roman church, are a part of this grand mission. Paul has now connected the gospel from himself to these people. Because they know Jesus, this gospel is theirs too. This mission is theirs too. Paul's saying, hey, everything I'm about to say in this letter, I know it's going to get a little long. I know it's going to get a little complicated. But all this I'm going to say, these words were written for you. God, through the apostle Paul, wants us to know and love and trust 
in the gospel message of Jesus. This is for us too. This wasn't just for the first century Christians. This is for us. So let me end by giving you two things that we need to do in response to this introduction to Romans. Here's the first. Number one, rejoice in the gospel message. Romans is a book all about the gospel, and it's written to Christians. Some of you missed that. Let me say that again. Romans is a book about the gospel, and it's written to Christians. So often we think the gospel is just for lost people. Like once you believe it, you move on. I got my ticket to heaven, put that in my pocket, I accepted Jesus, I'm good. But the gospel is for Christians too. The gospel is not the first rung on the ladder of spiritual growth. The gospel is the ladder. The gospel is not the doorway in which we walk into the Christian life. The gospel is the whole house. The gospel is more like a diamond that as we turn and see its different angles, we observe greater and greater beauty. It's like a marriage relationship where with each passing day, you learn to love and appreciate one another more. As one pastor I heard, he said, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. We don't get in by grace and then get on by ourselves. It's grace all the way, every step, every moment. We never get past it, get over it, or get finished with the gospel. This message, this good news about Jesus, it is the key. It is the whole point to the Christian life. But do we treat it that way? I know for me personally, I tend to forget about the gospel. I tend to get distracted by all these other things in life. It reminds me of uh, dinner time with my kids. I have a one-year-old and a four-year-old. So you can imagine the, the fun we have at my house. When we sit down to eat dinner as a family at the dinner table, they have a hard time with the sitting down part. Like they take a few bites and then they want to get up and go play. They see a toy or they remember that this thing called Play-Doh exists. And they want to go do that instead of their dinner, instead of eating. So my wife and I were constantly telling, hey, sit back down, take a seat, come back to the table, eat your dinner. We're not going to get up until we're done, until we're full, right? And yet they still want to get up. Little sinners. (laughs) They get distracted. They forget to eat, right? Just as food is essential to our physical life, the gospel is essential to our spiritual life. Yet what do we do? We keep getting up from the table. We think, oh, yeah, I know that. I've got that. And we go off and we get distracted with our busy lives. And it's not necessarily bad things. Sometimes it's good things. Work, family, social life, school, busy schedules, to-do lists, on and on and on. And all along, Jesus says, hey, come back to the table. Finish your dinner. Sit down, rest in the gospel. The Apostle Paul shows us the example of how to rejoice in the gospel. He says that he's been set apart for the gospel. One of the things we'll notice about Paul is that he is an incredibly devoted person. As a Jew, he was devoted to the law. This is what led him to persecute Christians. He was so devoted to who he thought God was, he was willing to kill for him. Once he met Jesus, that passion changed to making Christ known. He he devoted his life to that mission despite making a lot of enemies. He faced repeated attempts on his life, beatings, imprisonments, even in jail. He continued to share about Jesus and write letters. This is uh, some verses from one of the letters he wrote 
from a prison cell. Listen to this, Philippians 3, 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is a man who knows how to rejoice in the gospel. Everything else, he says, it's lost compared to knowing Christ. For Paul, he wasn't content with just the taste of the gospel. You might think, oh, I know that. I know Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Duh, got it. But Paul is about to show us in Romans just how deep and how wide the gospel goes. Look, if you think the gospel is elementary or basic or shallow, you have not spent much time in Romans. Paul didn't just pray the prayer or get baptized or accept Jesus into his heart and then go on with his life. He didn't just attend church for an hour or two on Sunday mornings and get on with his week. No, he devoted everything to the gospel message. And the reason Paul did this, the reason he so passionately rejoiced in the gospel was because he had tasted grace for himself. He said in verse 5, through Jesus, I got grace. This is a man who was dedicated to the law. He kept all the rules. He punished the people who didn't. In terms of religious power, he was at the top of the food chain. But it wasn't until he met Jesus and experienced grace that his life was changed. Have you personally experienced God's grace? And if you haven't, what's, what's stopping you? Oh, you, you don't think you're good enough for Jesus? Welcome to the club. The guy who wrote the book of Romans personally imprisoned and supported the murder of Christians. If Paul wasn't too bad for grace, you aren't either. You might think, well, I just need to get my life together and i got to clean up some things first. Then I can figure out this Jesus thing. Is that what Paul did? No. He was walking down the road, headed to destroy more Christians. When, boom, he gets knocked off his horse. Jesus shows up. He's changed forever. Like the same thing happened to me, and it can happen to you. There's nothing we need to do today but repent of our sin and turn to Jesus, and he will save you. If you've already experienced that grace like I have, then here's what you and I need to do. We need to go back to the table every day. You got to get back to the table. Just as your body needs regular refills of food, so your spiritual soul needs regular refills of the gospel. We must rejoice in this gospel message. That's first. Here's the second and last thing we do in response to this message. Number two, commit to the gospel mission. The original Greek, these first seven verses were one long sentence. Paul introduced himself. He explained the gospel. He explained his mission. And he greeted the church in one big gospelicious sentence. He flows right from gospel message to gospel mission. And this tells us something important. This tells us that the message and the mission are tied up in one idea. Here's why. Because when you understand the gospel, it will send you out on mission. Gospel message leads to gospel mission. When you take in the gospel, it sends you out to a lost world. You didn't hear the gospel to keep it to yourself. You heard it so you could speak it to someone else. And if you're wondering how to do that, then I'm going to encourage you to be here tonight at 530 in our fellowship hall. I'm going to be leading an outreach training, and I'm going to explain the simplest way I've ever found to share your faith with someone who's lost. 
I want to encourage you to come. Because you weren't filled with grace so you could sit and sour like an old sponge. You were filled so you could be wrung out for others. You were blessed to be a blessing to the world. The gospel came to you because it's on its way to someone else. Like Paul said about himself in verse 5, we too were called to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Though Paul had a unique calling and certainly a unique gifting, we are all called to reach the nations with the gospel. Look, you won't write a book of the Bible and you won't be an apostle, but you can share the gospel with a neighbor or a friend. You can start a new ministry. You can move to another place that may need you to help start a church. You may even start a church yourself across the world. Look, the question is not if you're called to do missions. The question is where you're called. All of us are called to be missionaries, and all of us are called to do missions. It's a matter of where. Because the gospel message leads to gospel mission. It's not optional. It's gospel. And I do just want to prepare you. I'm going to say the words gospel and mission about four million times in this series, okay? My goal, I'm serious, my goal is to completely annoy you to where you either leave this church because you're tired of hearing about it or you rejoice in the gospel message and commit to the gospel mission. Friends, the train is leaving the station, and every week in this series, the Ridgeview campus is going to Gospel City, and we're going to bring everyone along we can with us. Question is, are you coming? Are you on board? Rejoice in the gospel message. Commit to the gospel mission. Let's pray.